you guys know very well the story of Judas. We know really well the story of Judas. We talked about him a couple weeks ago. We know that Judas is, is really recognized for, for what he's done. And rightly so. He did a, a wrong thing. And then instead of repenting of his actions and then doing the right thing, he continued to do the wrong thing, even afterwards. So we know Judas' story well. We know that he's the one who betrayed Christ. But don't forget that there's also one who denied Christ. Do you guys know who I'm talking about? What's his name? Somebody tell me. Peter. We know about Peter. And, and, and we like to rag on Peter a lot because he's kind of the guy, like he's the kid in class that raises his hand and answers with like a lot of gusto, even though it's wrong. And the rest of the class didn't know the answer either. You know what I'm saying? But that was just the one person that was brave enough to raise their hand and get their answer wrong out loud. You know what I'm talking about? That's Peter. He's boisterous. He's loud. He's excitable. He's that guy. He's the guy that probably tells really great stories. Uh, and, and like you're just giggling the whole time he's telling him because he's just kind of that guy. He's that person. He's just kind of fun to be around because he's loud and excitable, all those things. We like to remember that Judas is the one who betrays Christ and forget that Peter denied Christ. And again, it's not like the other disciples get this big pass. They all took off, if you remember in the story. And, and, and again, I mean, can you blame them? Because you've got a, a, a huge occupation of Roman soldiers uh, and, and temple guards that come and grab Jesus. Many of you guys learned a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was last week at Easter, that there were probably more like 600 people. We, we think in our own minds, oh, well, there were probably six guards or something like that. It wasn't a big deal. No, there were 600 that showed up. And so the disciples take off because they don't want to be associated with this guy, because when Rome shows up to kill people, they kill lots of people. Uh, when, when, when they quell riots and stop things from happening, Rome crucifies everybody. You're guilty by association. And, and they, cru- they don't just crucify the leader, they crucify everybody in the movement. And so all of the disciples, they flee and take off. And what I kind of like about Peter is that even though he took off and was scared, he still got a little bit of guess. We're, I'm getting ahead of myself, but Peter is who we're talking about today. I want to focus on this guy because there's this, there's this question in my mind. For the past several weeks, we've been talking about villains and heroes, and we've talked about a couple of villains who are on the cusp of becoming heroes. They were on the cusp of becoming heroes. We would probably say that Peter was already kind of a hero. He's, he's the guy that's walking around with Jesus. He's in kind of the, the, the small group, even, of Jesus, past just the 12. He's one of the main three. You know what I'm saying? We would already probably call him a hero in some regards, and yet he has sort of a villainy moment. Villainy? Villainistic? I don't know. It doesn't matter. He, he has a sinister, I don't, I don't know what the word would be. He has a bad moment uh, where, where he kind of moves from a hero to become a villain, a villain. So here's the question that we all need to kind of stick in our heads today. Once you're a villain, can you become a hero again? Once you're a villain, can you become a hero again? I think I like your answer. We'll talk about it. (laughs) Deep down inside, I think many of us feel that we are living beneath our potential. Whether that's true or not, I think many of us feel that way. We struggle to understand why our accomplishments feel less than what our abilities have for us. Maybe like Peter, you perceive yourself to be stronger than others around you. Maybe you're, you're the kind that doesn't think that you aren't living up to your potential, but rather you think everyone else needs to live up to yours. Maybe there's a couple different people there, and and maybe you're like Peter when, in fact, you're just kind of an average person, and everyone else sees that, but you don't. That's okay, too. That's okay, too. But I'm just 
maybe think about where and which camp that you fall into. Maybe like Peter, you have flaws in your character that are keeping you from being a leader for God. Maybe like Peter, you are struggling to confront some deep down things in your heart and in your mind because you can't get quiet enough to hear what God is trying to show you in your lives. I want to show you today that God's grace, God's grace brings us into confrontation with our flaws. And it must, because if he's perfect and we are not, there will be some rub there. Okay, and so the closer we get to Jesus, the more that we're going to see that there are some things about us that could begin to change. Peter, and again, we'll get to that part of the story, but Peter, to his credit, ends up having a proper response to God's grace. Put this sentence in your head today. God's grace will transform your life and position you for future victories. God's grace will transform your life and position you for future victories if you'll respond to him. And I should say even further, if you'll respond in faith, if you'll respond in obedience, if you'll respond in submission to what he has for you. See, when Simon first comes to Jesus, when he's called as a disciple, he's just Simon, and Jesus looks at him and says, ah, I think your name's going to be Peter. He just changes from the get-go. He just changes his name. Peter means rock. You know what I'm saying? Who's going to watch the new Calvin and Hobbes movie? You guys know what I'm talking about? Nobody in the room. Wow, I'm alone. Okay. It's the new action movie with the rock, and I think Jason Statham in it, and it's lots of cars and guns and shots and stuff. It looks really cool. Uh, anyways, okay, now we've, got, now we've got a couple other people involved. Uh, he, he calls him The Rock, which I think is a really great nickname. When I say The Rock, all of y'all, like, you threw your eyebrow up, you know what I'm talking about? You flexed a little bit in your seat because the rock is a great name. I like this name that, that Jesus gives to Peter. But what I think Peter probably recognized in that moment is that while he was kind of like, yo, what's up, I'm the rock, he also knew that inwardly there was probably some instability in his life. I, I think this almost is kind of a, a, an inside joke for, for Peter and Jesus a little bit that, that Jesus would call a man who clearly who clearly is a little bit unstable, a little bit off the cuff, a little bit too quick to respond, a little bit prideful, someone like The Rock. Hmm. Michelangelo was asked one time, the great sculptor was asked one time, what, it, what do you do? What, what, what are you doing when you sculpt? And his response was, I'm releasing the angel imprisoned in this marble. See, sculpting is the art of removing what doesn't belong so that just the inspiring figure remains. Sculpture, sculpting, is the process of getting rid of stuff that's inconsequential, things that don't matter, things that would rather weigh down what the sculptor has in mind. See, making disciples is a lot like sculpting. It's removing what doesn't belong so that the image of Jesus Christ begins to appear more clearly in our lives. So again, as we get closer to Jesus, we'll begin to be confronted by our flaws, the things that don't line up with who Jesus is and how he would want us to operate in our lives. And the closer we get to him, the more our sculpture will begin to look like us. Did y'all catch that? So there was a disciple maker deep within this rock. So Peter right now is a rock. 
just a boulder, and Jesus wants to form him into a great spiritual leader that was held within. See, there was greatness in Peter that maybe Peter did not even recognize. To this point in his life, he's maybe an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 20 it doesn't really matter his age, but he's probably somewhere in there. He's working for his family business as probably one of the lead fishermen on the boat. Again, he's the loud guy. He's the guy that talks the most and talks a lot and probably has a lot to say about things, has great opinions. And so he's in his family business. He's a fisherman. He's not one of the religious go-to guys. He hasn't been training under a formal rabbi since he was 12, 13. He's just, a, he's just an average, everyday, normal worker guy. And then Jesus calls him out because Jesus sees something in him that he does not even see in himself. See, living out of God's grace is the ability to look beyond where you are right now and see what God promises about you and for you. And then begin to apply those things in your mind first and then in your heart to then be followed by your feet and your hands. Does that make sense? So, living out of God's grace is being able to see beyond today, seeing God's desired future for ourselves and for one another. And when you experience God's grace in your own life, you can't help but have others experience it. You can't help but share what God has done in your own lives. And so if you want to be like Christ, stop looking at the flaws and everything everywhere all the time. Because that's not what Jesus did. Now, you have, to be, you have to be able to see a flaw in order to understand how to move past it, but that's the point, move past it. Jesus doesn't see flaws and then just, that's it. We're just going to talk about what's wrong and not move, not move to anything further. In fact, Jesus himself would say, stop looking at the speck in your brother's eye when you have a plank or beam in your own. You, you, you can't just point something out that's wrong Rather, what Jesus does is look into what could be great. And as a disciple maker, and as one who is being discipled, hopefully in this room, we don't just see where someone is now, we see what they could be then. This is the beauty of living like Christ. This is the beauty of, being, um, uh, of having experienced his grace and knowing him in a personal relationship. If you want to be like Jesus... See the beauty in the lives that are not yet beautiful. See strength in lives that are not yet strong. See, see stability in lives that are not yet stable. See, nothing captures our hearts. You guys remember extreme, uh, extreme House Makeover back in the day? Move that. Okay, so I'm talking to some people. Move that bus. Wasn't that the best moment ever? Because this family who really, really needed help had a group of people come in and genuinely, genuinely hear what they would want in a house, genuinely, genuinely listen to them for a moment, genuinely hear their struggles, and then genuinely help them. And that rub with genuineness was almost more striking than the home. We all love Ty, correct? We all love Ty Pennington because not only was he not only was a great host on the show and did all the right things right in the home, but he really got down with these people, had conversations with them, got to know them, so that, that way when it was time to walk into the house, it wasn't just a stranger. It was almost like their best friend was walking them into the thing that he had just done for them. 
See, when you get next to something genuine, it changes who you are and how you perceive things. This is why it's so important for you parents and youth leaders and student workers and children volunteers to be invested in, in those parts of our church because once you build a relationship with a student, you are helping further them towards their walk with Christ. And the studies will show that a student needs at least five people. A student needs at least five people who will cheerlead, who will love them, who will be a resource to them, who will work alongside them in order for them to be extra successful in their lives. Parents, you need to be in that five. Youth leaders, you need to be in that five. Other church members, you need to be in that five. Let's, why don't we have 15 people love on our students? Oh my goodness, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. We would really prop them up for success at that point. We'd be three times more successful, you know what I'm saying? Let's help, these, let's help these people out. And what I'm trying to tell you is that the more genuine, or sorry, the closer that we get to something genuine, the closer we're going to get to life change. The closer we're going to get to life change. And this is what it's like when we experience God's grace, is that we look beyond where we are and we begin to see the potential in life. We begin to see the potential when we rub up against something that's genuine, something that's real, something that's actual, something that matters to us. Once we see that, experience it, we can begin to look at what's possible for the future. And what I love about God's word is that he doesn't just say, well, now figure it out. What he actually does is says, live like me, because if you live like me, you'll be more like you. You'll become the best version of who you possibly could be. And then once you've, once you've known me well, you're going to begin to look out at others and see this great potential everywhere you go. Um, this has great implications for our lives. Uh, when we're at work, all of a sudden, our coworkers should not become burdens to us. And listen, I know sometimes coworkers can be burdensome. I know that people that you interact with sometimes can be hard to deal with. I get that. Listen, Jesus had 12 of them that he walked with every single day, and they just, even though he told them constantly, constantly, constantly things about God's kingdom, they just did not understand. They could not see past where they were. But something clicked in them at the resurrection. And every one of them, every one of them, began to live a life that reflected him all along. So, when we experience God's grace, when we get into a relationship with Jesus, not just intellectual assent, not just, oh, I think that he was a guy that lived one time and he taught some stuff. That's intellectual assent. That is not a love relationship where you get to know him and communicate with, with him. See, Jesus is not a set of ideas. He's a person. He's a person who lives right now and speaks with you at any moment you want it. Even when you don't want it, he confronts you and speaks with you. And that's why he sent us the Spirit to continually keep us in communication with him because the communication speaks to a relationship the relationship is more than just i think that's true relationship is actual work and investment in one another and this is what god will do for us the more that we get closer to him and so how is it that a man who was close to jesus physically even how is it a man who's close to jesus who who clearly even if you've read your gospels clearly does know Jesus is, does want to be around him, does want to walk with him and learn from him, probably a man who, who would say he loves Jesus, how is it that this man comes to deny him? Well, we're all susceptible to pride. We're all susceptible to pride. After serving the Lord's Supper, Jesus told his disciples, we're going to be in Mark 14, 
And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will all be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. See, anger must have begun to well up in Peter as he begins to hear this, because this is his response. Peter said to him, not Peter leaned over and whispered to Jesus. Not, not Peter quietly took him aside and said, hold on, hold on. Not Peter calmly spoke with, with quiet, hushed tones. Peter said loudly, probably at the dinner table with everybody sitting around, even though all these fools are going to run away, I'm not going nowhere. That's, that's Peter. That's who Peter was. That's his character. See, Simon had some pride problems. Many times, Peter boasted of a devotion that he really didn't possess yet. And if you look at his record uh, up to this point, you'll see that his discipleship has been a little bit bumpy, to say the least. When Jesus spoke of his death, Peter was like, never. Well, never let it happen, Jesus. And Jesus responds with, get behind me, Satan. Not what you want to hear from Jesus. Probably up there, top, top couple things you don't want to hear from Jesus' mouth. Get behind me, Satan. That's what he says to Peter. In one moment, Peter is walking on the waves in great victory, an incredible moment where Peter, because of how he's walking in faith towards God, can perform some of God's miracles. That's wild. That's wild. He's walking on, the, on water. I know we've all seen it in Bruce Almighty, and we think it's like really normal. Now it's not. Have you ever tried to walk on water? It doesn't happen. And Peter's on the water, walking towards Jesus, reaching his hand out to him. I mean, how cool a moment. And because the circumstances and probably what he's thinking about the people in the boat who are thinking about him right now, he begins to take his eyes off Jesus and begins to sink. Calls out, Lord, save him. Jesus grabs him. You, you guys, you, you've heard that story, I hope, before. Has this incredible moment with Jesus, but even in the incredible moment, wavers and has to have the Lord save him. Peter thought he was stronger than he really was. When we come to the scene of Gethsemane, where Jesus is praying right before his crucifixion, he knows it's coming. And he's praying with with great earnest. He's praying fervently that he would not have to do this. If, this, if there's another way, God, let, let it happen. He's praying so feverishly, in fact, with such force and anguish in his body that he begins to sweat blood. He gets up from that moment, and he walks back to where he had set his disciples. This is Mark 14. He says to them, or sorry, he came to them sleeping, and he said to who? Okay, so... I want you to notice what's happening. He came and found who? All of them. And he said to who? Oh, not all of them? He sa no, he says to Peter. He points Peter out right away. He points Peter, which I think is really interesting, because again, Peter likes to insert himself in stuff. He, he's the leader. He's the leader of the pack, and so he, he's that charismatic guy that's going to be always at the front. And so Jesus calls that guy out. He says to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Could you not just stay awake for one hour and pray with me? In the middle of the prayer meeting, Jesus finds them sleeping, but talks directly to Peter. Peter must have been like, I mean, look at, there's like 11 other guys. Why are you talking to me? Peter, in this moment, presumes that he has it all together, and so he doesn't really need to prayer pray. What he really needs to do is sleep. He's tired. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of Passover getting ready. You know what I'm saying? There's been a lot of preparation and stuff. I don't really need to pray. I'll be fine to pray next time, even though Jesus just asked me to pray with him. It doesn't matter. I think a lot of us fall into that, where we presume that we've got it all together enough that we don't really need to seek God in moments. 
think when pride gets in our hearts, it's very easy to presume that we don't need our connection to grow further with God because if we're honest, we've got it all together. At least we think we do. And I think if we are even more, more honest this morning with ourselves, we're just a couple of neglected devotions, a few missed times from discipleship meeting away from we would never deny Jesus outright. But we just won't think about him, pray to him, read his word, live for him, or ask him anything in our days. But, but somehow that's not denial. Do, do you catch what I'm trying to say here? We, we, just because I didn't say it out loud, somehow I didn't deny Jesus, even though on this side of my life I don't think about him, look to him, pray with him. Commu- you get what I'm saying? That is denial. It's as much denial as it is out loud saying, I deny Jesus. And I think that if we were honest, there were times where we have missed our spiritual, really, I would say, obligations, our obligations to seek God. And we've denied Christ. The soldiers came with Judas to arrest Jesus. I like this moment. This is what Mark says, because... Peter was Mark's disciple. Sorry, Mark was Peter's disciple. And so in Mark's gospel, he doesn't call Peter out. (laughs) He says, but one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And see, John doesn't care. John says, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's ear and cut off his ear the servant's name, he like even names the servant. The servant's name was Malchus. John's like, everybody needs to know Peter. Come on. When crisis comes, Peter reaches for the thing that he's most comfortable with. Bravado, gusto, I'm the guy. He reaches for what he knows and for who he is at this point. He reaches for his sword and he chops. Now thank goodness he's a really bad swordsman. And he's like a fisherman. Thanks, thank goodness that that's really what like, his profession is. He's not like an actual soldier because he misses this guy entirely and just cuts his ear off. Which, I mean, like, that'd be bad. We would all agree that's a bad thing. But, like, it could be worse. I mean, there's a lot going on next to that, next to the ear. Peter misses completely, swipes the ear off, and then Jesus heals that ear. And he's like, Peter, just, what are you doing? Like, you're falling asleep on me, and then all of a sudden, you, anyways. And in this moment, we see Peter go back, go back away from who Jesus would call him to be and go back to who he was before he knew Jesus. See, Simon, Simon Peter went back to uh, his own resources. He went back to his own mentality. He went back to his own thoughts and actions as opposed to putting them in submission to what Jesus would have for him. And in so doing, he does serious damage to somebody. And how often in our lives when we revert from our Christian walk, we revert from fellowship with other believers who would hold us accountable, how often do we take steps further and further away from God and then we end up creating a situation where we're offending and hurting people deeply? See, Peter, being misled, went for the wrong target. Paul tells us that our battle's not with flesh and blood. Our battle's with with spiritual stuff, stuff that you can't necessarily see but is altogether real. It's happening right now. Even though you can't see it, it's, it's very much as real as what you can see. 
And when we fall out of fellowship with God and with other believers, we're going to consistently injure people around us. Attempting to live a Christian life apart from accountability, apart from discipleship, apart from growing with Christ, results in a heart that becomes hateful and words that become hurtful. The next thing we see Peter, the next moment we see him, is a really interesting moment. Because he's still, he's still kind of like, he's still kind of like, well, Jesus called me the rock, and so I'm going to kind of like do something smart here or something, something that could potentially lead to me being a hero. And so he kind of sneaks up to where Jesus is at, at the moment of Jesus' trial. So he chops the ear off, all the disciples run away, they grab Jesus, they take Jesus to trial. And the trial's occurring all night. Now, uh, I didn't know this, but pastor told us that the trial occurred across the street. <laughs> so they grab Jesus, and they you know, march across the street, and I think that Jesus, sorry, Peter then sneaks up on the meeting. Okay, he's sitting at the campfire outside where all the servants are. He's trying to listen to what's happening. So don't think of like this big palatial setup where Jesus is in like a courtroom and he had to go through like the scanners or whatever to get in like what, what you've seen, you know, in a courthouse. That's, that's not what's happening here. It's a big open area where Jesus is being tried and there's a campfire right here and Jesus is right over there, okay? Do you have that in your mind? So Peter sneaks up. He's at the fire. He's trying to listen to what's happening at the trial. And we find this other moment where... Peter is not only susceptible to pride, but he's also susceptible to the pressure of his peers. And I think if we were honest again, we'd all agree that so am I. So Peter walks up, and there's this moment where, uh, where a little girl asks Peter a question. Now, if it had been a Roman soldier, it might have been a different outcome. Peter might have got all, you know... No, I know Jesus, and he's the son of God, and I love him. You know what I'm saying? He might, have, he might have done something really great here, but because it kind of came out of left field, and it wasn't what he was anticipating or expecting, just this simple, really easy question from a tiny little girl caught him off guard. And I think this is how Satan wants to work with you. He wants to catch you off guard in ways that you're not paying attention or seeing from the get-go. And especially if you're out of fellowship with God and other believers, he's really going to strike when the iron's hot. So here's Peter sitting at the fire, and this little girl asks him a question. Here's what she says. Let's look at John 18:25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, you also are not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. I'm not a disciple. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, which is kind of ironic, asked, wait, did I not just see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. So here comes the old, the old Peter now. So at this point he's just, no, stop talking to me, I don't want to hear it, I'm just, I'm just here. He's, he's just kind of, you know, Batten the accusations, the questions aside. And then finally, we get to the third one here. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said at the third rooster crying, right? He told Peter, by the third crow, you're going to have denied me. Peter begins to remember, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. 
to the people sitting around the campfire, there's just a rooster crowing. Do you guys live close to people who own chickens and roosters? Okay, a couple of y'all. They just crow whenever they want. It doesn't have to be morning time. So if you're like a city person 100%, just know that when the sun rises is not the only time a rooster crows. Uh, I remember my first trip to India, 2 a.m. I mean, it just kept going. It didn't matter. It did not matter at all. And in the mountains when it's quiet where we were, oh my gosh, you just, it's the only thing you could hear. Uh, very startling. <laughs> so uh, if you've ever been around a rooster, you know just, they just crow. And so to these people sitting around the fire, and just, there's just a rooster crowing. It doesn't mean anything to them specifically, but to Peter, it means something very specific because only hours before Jesus had told Peter by the third rooster crow, you're going to have denied me. And here Peter is doing the very thing that Jesus said he would do. I think it's interesting that while Satan knows just how to worm his way in and, and, and work through just a small question to get you really thinking, Jesus knows better. He knows better who and how you are. He knows what questions to ask and, and when to push and when to not and when to put somebody in your life to lead you towards him. And so in this moment, Peter feels very seen by the Lord. I don't know if you've ever had an experience where you just feel very seen by God. It's altogether wonderful and very scary. It's altogether wonderful and very scary when you are seen by him. Here is Peter being told by the third rooster crow, you're going to deny me. And Peter finally hears the third crow and realizes this is exactly what Jesus told me. In this moment, he was susceptible to the peers around him who were asking him questions. And instead of doing the right thing, he still flees from Jesus and into himself. He's not clinging to the grace that God had offered him, but rather to his own devices. He becomes who he used to be. If you know the story well enough, he doesn't just say, no, I'm not a disciple, and no, uh, I, I don't know what you're talking about. He, like, cusses. He's like, he's, like, making a bigger deal, you know what I'm saying, than, than, than just no. He's, no, I'm bleeping, I'm not. I don't bleeping know the guy. You know what I'm saying? He, he, he goes to the next level to prove how not associated with Jesus he is, third rooster crows, and he realized, oh my gosh, I've done the worst thing that I could ever do in this moment. And Jesus called it. He told me this would happen. He feels very seen by God. And in verse 62 he says, he went out and wept bitterly. I would wonder how many of you guys around like a bonfire at camp or the worship night at camp have made similar uh, uh, braggadocious claims to God. I promise I will never cuss again. I promise Jesus I will never fill in the blank, whatever it is. You've made, you've made those claims as well. And then two weeks later, when you've fallen out of fellowship with other believers and with God, what begins to happen but the behavior that you've promised and swore you would never do. Some of us have walked down the aisles of a church, bent on our knees, you know, after our worship service or during it, and we've prayed and we've cried out to God and we've been very, very sincere in our promises to God, but we never followed through with the thing that we were so sincere about in that moment. See, that crowing bird 
was ignored by everybody else, but to the one person who noticed it, it was the most major thing that could have happened. I think God speaks to us in ways we'll understand. So often you'll hear preachers and pastors talk about the voice of God, or they, they somehow just knew that God was pressing this thing upon them. That, that was their experience, whatever it felt like or whatever it seemed like in that moment. God knew how to communicate it to them. And God's going to communicate to you in a way that you're going to understand today. And he's going to communicate to you in ways that you'll perceive and see as God speaking to you. Someone else might not understand it or perceive it to be that way, but you will. There are moments, there are moments that I would describe to you that just sound like totally mundane moments to you, but when I walked away, I felt God speaking to me personally. To you, it, it may not have meant anything, but to me, it was major. It was a major, major moment. God will sometimes send, send moments, send people, send conversations, and send uh, uh, just inane, mundane, innocuous things to you to perk your mind back up to know that there's more to life than living for myself. I hope that he does that for you. I hope that you'd ask him to do that for you. I hope that you would ask him to show you in ways that you would understand his voice and what he would have for you. Peter moves from this moment, and I love this. Let's, let's, this is not just a bad news sermon today where Peter becomes a villain, because I, I want to answer our question here. How, does he become a hero again? Can you become a hero again? Everybody, everybody say this with me. My failure is not final. You are not the total sum of the worst thing you've ever done. Oh, you can say it. Yeah, come on. You are, not, you are not the total sum of the worst thing that you have ever done. You're not. And some of us live in that. Some of us live out of the worst thing we ever did. And we think that's who we are, and it doesn't have to be. How about that? You can think upon it and dwell about it and, and, and live out of it as if it is. And I'm here to tell you that it's not. Our failure is not final because Jesus because of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, because of the forgiveness that he extends to us, his ability and power to restore us, your failure is not final. Let's fast forward in the story just a little bit. Jesus has been dead for three days in a tomb guarded by Roman soldiers. On the third day, the third morning, uh, Mary shows back up to the tomb, Mark chapter 16, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples, and that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Why, do you have to, why does he have to say, and Peter? Peter's not with the disciples. Did y'all catch that? Did you ever see that before? I didn't. And as I reread this, go tell his disciples and Peter. Peter has just denied to a little girl and some Roman soldiers sitting around a fire. I, I don't, I'm not a disciple. I never knew that guy. I'm out of here. He's gone. And he's not back in fellowship with 
the other people who he's been living his life with for the last three years. So, the, so Mary has to go not only tell the disciples, but now she has to go find Peter, wherever he is, doing whatever he's doing. I think this is really interesting. See, Peter, Peter had denied this relationship and then was so ashamed of his, the fact that he had quit that he doesn't even go back to the people that he knew and loved. He's going to go start something else, do something else, and he's going to run away from his problems as opposed to confront them. Christian, I'm here to tell you, you can't run away fast enough. You can't run away far enough. Not in this age. We know everything about something today, thanks to the internet. You guys know what I'm trying to say. We know everything about, we know something about everything. Maybe I said it backwards. We know something about everything these days. Someone can know something about you wherever you go. And you can try to run from one situation to the next situation, but it's not going to change the common denominator, which is you. You're the common denominator wherever you run. And if something gets difficult, something gets hard to deal with, it's going to be hard to deal with a year from now in a different place. Because you're still you, even though you ran away. Peter, even though he ran away from the disciples, is still Peter. Still the same prideful person, susceptible to peer pressure that he was when he left. But here's the good news this morning, is that Jesus refuses to leave us in our failure. When we know Jesus, he refuses to leave us by the way. He won't let us down. And here is the message this morning, that just because you quit on Jesus does not mean he has quit on you. Jesus arranges a meeting. John chapter 21, 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was what? Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Simon, do you love me? Get back in the game. That's what he's saying. Get back in the game. Get back to discipleship. Have a plan for your life. I see greatness in you. Go back. I like this third, this three question here. Uh, I, I know that there will be pastors that say it was phileo, agape, whatever. They'll use all the different words for love. I, I just want you to see that a simple question can get your mind geared towards what God would have for you. And in discipleship, we are trying disciple leaders and disciples to get you to realize that there are questions that we need to be asking of our disciples through the prompting of the Holy Spirit that will begin to lead them towards life better than your lectures ever could. Parents, sometimes questions are better than lectures. You guys get what I'm trying to say? And here's Jesus modeling for us some behavior that we should be adopting, which is, Peter, just a simple question. Do you, do you love me? Peter, without thought, yeah, I love you. Okay, feed my sheep. Later on in the conversation, Jesus is probably reading Peter's body language and looking at him, and obviously Jesus knows his heart, which is you know, kind of cheating. But anyways, he asks Peter again, Peter, Peter, do you love me? As they're cleaning up dishes, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, I love you. And then, and then Jesus says, okay, feed my sheep. 
And then Peter's probably starting to think, like, why is he, why is he asking this? This is weird. This is a weird question, man. And so just doing dishes, whatever, getting ready for the rest of the day. And then Jesus the third time says, Peter, do you love me? And by this time, Peter's like, okay, I, something's happening here. Jesus, you've asked me twice now, I get it. No, I really love you, for real. Like, I actually love you. I care about what you, I care about you so much. I love you. And that's when Jesus said, okay, you get it. Go feed my sheep. I love this three-question stack because it brought Jesus, sorry, brought Peter back to what his focus should have been all along, which is on Jesus. Jesus knew that Peter loved Jesus. Peter needed to know that he loved Jesus. Peter needed to realize that. So, so, I want you to see, I want you to see that your failure does not define you and that through Christ and through a relationship with him we can become so much more than we used to be. Jesus does not punish us but rather forgives us. He does not leave us where we are but rather picks us up by the hand and takes us along with him. And this is what he desires from each one of us is that we would not sit in our shame but rather go back to him who can help us deal with it. And I think what we do a lot of times is we'll just sit in our own filth. We'll just sit in our own filth. We'll make a messy diaper, and instead of dealing with it, we'll sit in it. Isn't that a gross idea? But that's what we do with our sin and shame sometimes, is that we will sin, and instead of going back to Jesus, asking for forgiveness, moving on from it, and living for him, what's more convenient is that we'll just keep the diaper on. We won't clean it up. It's just more convenient to keep playing or to keep, you know, living life as if this is not happening right now. And that's how we operate in our own sin and shame. That's how Peter was operating until Jesus confronted him about what was going on. And Peter, Peter to his credit, realizes, oh, I see. I see. There's more for me. You have more for me. No, I love you, Jesus. You know everything. I love you. Jesus says, get back in the game. Peter's now restored Peter's now restored. He, he, he gets it. He's a part of the fold again. Jesus has brought him back in. Jesus hasn't judged him or, you know, beat him up. I don't know what, what, what that looks like in a relationship. I'm just saying like, Jesus didn't, like, beat him up about it. He just brought him right back in, helped him to realize that there's more for you. I have more for you, brings him back in. Peter is restored and rejoins the mission of Christ. So much so that later on, later on at the Feast of Pentecost, uh, Jesus has ascended to heaven. The, the disciples are sitting now around. They're trying to figure out what to do next. Jesus said, just kind of hang out in Jerusalem. I've got something for you. The Holy Spirit comes. Okay? If, you know your, if you know your story, what happens next is there's like tongues of fire that come up on their head, and they all start speaking in different languages. And the other people that are there from all over the world to observe the Passover and the Pentecost feast, uh, they, they begin to hear the gospel message preached by these men who are just talking out loud, but everyone can understand what they're saying. Quite a miracle of God, okay? And Peter kind of distinguishes himself as the, as the, the speaker. So in Acts 2, chapter 41, we see the results of his sermon, which basically his sermon was, you guys killed Jesus, repent and love him. You saw that he was raised from the dead. Like, that was basically his whole sermon, which that would be great. We could just do that sermon from now on if you guys want, and then we pray, and I'm just kidding. Uh, so he gets that, preaches that sermon, and then here's the results, 241. Even, so, so those who received his word were baptized, 
and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's wild to me. Jesus desires to use you if you'll get on mission with him. He desires to use you. All we have to do is get on mission with him. Listen, you may have done some wrong things in your life. It doesn't define who you are. It doesn't have to. Because your failures don't have to remain your failures. You can turn those things into a launch pad for success. You can turn those things into a moment where you get right with the Lord and seek him again. Peter leads thousands to Christ after preaching boldly. He then disciples John Mark, who writes probably the first of the Gospels, which is the Gospel of Mark in your Bible. Peter writes two books of his own in the Bible. Finally, he's crucified on a cross just like, well, not just like Jesus. Actually, Peter's story is really interesting. He wants to be crucified upside down because I won't be, he says, I can't be this honored. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't crucify me like you did Jesus. Crucify me upside down because I can't be crucified like him. I can't be even counted to be as good as he was. And so they crucify him upside down, which is kind of a wild thought. He gave his very life back to Jesus, even though at one time he denied him from villain back to hero What's the missing piece? He loved Jesus. He submitted his life back to him. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as getting back in relationship with Jesus. Jesus didn't leave you. Jesus won't judge you. Jesus doesn't hate you. In fact, he's waiting here, ready for you to come back. There's the striking stories over and over again that when that a shepherd would leave 99 sheep. This is what Jesus says. A shepherd left 99 sheep to go after how many? One. You guys know your scriptures. It's a story Jesus tells where he says, a shepherd left 99 sheep to go get his one sheep. That's how Jesus stands ready for you and for I today. When we fall, when our relationship with Jesus is shaky at best, there is hope for us yet. We may have pride problems and sins that will cause us to underachieve for Christ. Guess what? Jesus knows there's more for you. In Romans chapter 4, verse 17, Paul is talking about Abraham. Abraham was like 100 years old, and God said, you're going to have a kid. And Abraham's like, okay. <laughs> and because he believed, because he believed, it was credited, credited to him as his righteousness. Our belief in what God says about us will transform us from where we are to where we will be. Our belief in the promise that God has for you, which is that you can go and make disciples, that you can live like Jesus every day with the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, you can partner with God to be more like Jesus, is available to you now if, if you'll submit to Christ, if you'll obey his word, if you'll communicate with him and pray back and forth if you'll get into a community of believers who will help you stay accountable to that god wants to transform you he wants to unleash you like he did the disciples he wants to unleash you to go and make more disciples to go and mend and heal your families i i have been praying lately um this way god i want your presence i don't just want your stuff because in god's presence will you find the things that he'll enable you to have for the mission that he has for you? 
Listen, we don't just pray for joy. Jesus is joy. And the more that we get to know Jesus, the more joy that we'll have. We don't just pray for peace because Jesus is peace. And the more that we get to know Jesus, we will find peace. What I'm trying to tell you is that the more that we get to know Jesus, the more that we get in relationship with him, the more that we get close to him, the more that he will begin to transform us and unleash us for what he has for us. See, God sees the potential in you. He knows what you can become. He knows what you'll become. Hmm. Do you know him today? Have you, have you kind of been hands off about your faith lately? Have you kind of gotten out of the rhythm of reading your Bible and praying and, and, and being a part of your uh, uh, life group? Uh, have you been out of church for a while and maybe you're just trying to kind of get back into the, to, to this whole thing? Are you trying to figure out what the next step of obedience in your life is? Listen, God will speak to you in ways that you'll understand if you'll ask him. He'll show you what's next if you'll ask him. And if you're ready and willing to follow him in that, he will walk with you. I have good news this morning that God's grace is available to anyone who wants it. Are you willing to be honest with God today and confront your own failings and sins and weaknesses? See, for Peter, it was pride and presumption and unwillingness to even admit that he had weakness. For you, it could be laziness or selfishness or it could be like Peter or whatever it ends up being. We don't have to have our lives consumed by that. Rather, we can follow Christ. This morning, in a couple minutes, we're, we're going we're to pray and believe right. Ask that you, you just pray. Ask what's next for the, with God. A- ask Him what's next in your relationship. Whether it's whether it's starting a Bible study this week and being consistent through that Bible study. Whether it's starting a prayer journal and being consistent in that prayer journal. Whether it's whether it's joining this church. I, yeah, I said it right. I didn't. I, I didn't mince my words. Joining this church because we're gonna we're gonna disciple you and show you what it looks like to follow Christ. We have a really really great church here. We would love you to be a part of what we're doing. Maybe it's joining this church today. Maybe it's becoming a part of a small group. You should speak with uh, Pastor Jeremy and maybe the welcome desk this morning if you're really interested in that. There are many steps that you could take. Ultimately, God's going to tell you those if you ask Him for those, because He's going to speak to you just like He did through the rooster to Peter. Are you willing and able to listen to him? If you don't know Christ this morning, we're going to pray. And you're going to have an opportunity to put all of those things aside, all the sins and weaknesses and failings and whatever they might have been. You can put all this aside, and Christ will call you from where you are now to what you will become because he loves you. This morning, we've got some, some questions of Jesus. Are we going to be more like a Judas who will be chained to the worst decision that we ever made and will then make more wrong decisions? Or will we be like Peter, who went from a villain back to a hero because he got back in relationship with Christ? Let's pray. Father, you were so good to us. And you show us amazing examples from the scripture like Peter. You show us that we, we don't have to be the worst thing that we've ever done. You show us that we don't have to be the worst decision we ever made. You show us that we can be so much more. In fact, you, you call us. You call us to be so much more. 
and then you don't just tell us to do something, you actually give us the Holy Spirit to live it out. What an amazing gift. Spirit, this week, speak to us in ways that we'll understand. Speak to us in things that we'll perceive to be your voice and your calling on our life to be more and to do more and to come back to you and to get back in relationship with you. And whatever it might look like, our next steps, God, this week, tell us what they are. Press upon our heart. Give us a thought as we pray with you, as we communicate with you. Give us a thought this week as to what our next steps might be. Help us to cling to you. Help us to grow our relationship this week. Help us to get in your presence because in your presence we're going to find joy and peace and love and truth. If you don't know Jesus this morning and you'd like to have a personal relationship with him, pray like this with me this morning. God, I thank you for today. I thank you that you don't see me as the worst thing ever. Rather, you see me as I could be. You see me as someone great and someone worthy. You see me as someone who could be used for you. God, I know that I have not always done the right thing, but I have failed in many ways. And I've hurt others. And I've not obeyed everything that you've asked me to do. I have sinned. But I know that you have forgiven my sins through what you've done on the cross. And that more than that, you now want me to live for you because you're alive. Help me to walk with you. Help me to live for you every day. Help me to get in communication with you, in relationship with you more and more. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed like that this morning, if you came to know Jesus as your personal Savior, please let somebody know this morning, the person that brought you to church, maybe someone here on the front row, please let somebody know. If you need to join our church, come today to the front row. Let us, let us, uh, let us acknowledge that you're now part of our family. Spend some moments in prayer as we sing, as we proclaim God's goodness this morning, to even further asking what's next for me. You can stand as we sing.